The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and for which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, which he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to an untimely born, he appeared also to me. Would you pray with me? And bow your heads, please. Dear God, we thank you for this day where we get to remember that your son came to this world for us to live and then to die and to rise again. And we pray that as we go through this time of teaching, that you would remind us of that amazing love you have for us, the amazing grace you have for us. Pray you would bless Randall as he gives this message and bless us as we are listening from it. Uh, from our own homes. We thank you, Father. We love you. We thank you. Amen. Thanks, Ricardo, for reading the scripture today. Uh, I just want to say happy Easter. I miss being with you all. Uh, It's a little weird, isn't it, not being able to gather on Easter Sunday. Uh, But I hope that you're doing well, and I just want you to know that I'm praying for you and miss everyone a whole lot. Uh, So today, as we think about this text in particular, and really the the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and what we are celebrating today, I wanted us to read together from Matthew 28, 1 through 7, as we get started. Here's what it says. So now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. What makes Christianity distinct? It's the resurrection of Jesus. John Lennox, who's an Oxford professor, said, the Christian gospel is based squarely on a miracle. It was the miracle of the resurrection of Christ that started it going. And that same miracle is its central message. Do you believe in this miraculous event? Atheist writer and speaker Richard Dawkins once said, the 19th century is the last time when it was possible for an educated person to admit to believing in miracles like the virgin birth without embarrassment. When pressed, many educated Christians are too loyal to deny the virgin birth 
and the resurrection, but it embarrasses them because their rational minds know that it is absurd. So they would much rather not be asked. Let's be honest. When we read the resurrection of Jesus, our culture has tried to convince us that to believe in the resurrection, we must check our minds at the door. And many of us have been filled with skepticism, doubt, fear, and discouragement. But the Bible invites us to lean into the details of the resurrection. The Bible encourages us to to think on these things. Engage our minds and, and hearts as we seek the truth. As we look at the resurrection of Jesus today, my encouragement is to lean in because it's true. It's a historical fact. It it, it changes lives. If you're joining us today, and this is the first time that that you've heard this, I hope that that you are leaning in right now to, to know the truth. On Easter today, what gives us the confidence to believe that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact and that it has the power to change lives. Well, according to the Apostle Paul, he says our hope hinges on the truth and the fact of the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he declares this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. All of Christianity hinges upon the bodily resurrection of Jesus and that this really happened. And so our text today is from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. And just to give you the setting here, this was written by the Apostle Paul as early as 53 AD. Paul had planted the Corinthian church in Acts 18, and he's writing specifically to Christians, people who believe that Jesus did raise from the dead and that he was their savior. We see that in verse one where he says this, now I remind you, brothers, he's talking to brothers, he's talking to sisters, he's talking to the church family. And today, we'll look at what Paul believed was so important for the church to be reminded of again and again and again. And it's centered on the resurrection. It's centered on the hope that we have that Jesus rose from the dead. And so how does the resurrection of Jesus transform our skepticism, doubts, fears, and discouragement into real hope? Because that's what we need, isn't it? We need hope. Here's how. It's by seeing the power of the message, the evidence, and the testimony. The message, the evidence, and the testimony. So we're going to break this down from today's text. And so first, the message. Look at verses 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
So what's the message? What's the message that Paul preached to the Corinthians? Well, verse 1, he says, Now I would remind you of the gospel. The gospel. The message Paul is pointing them to and us to today is the gospel. What does that mean? Well, it means good news. Good news. It's been said before that the gospel, the message of Christianity, is good news, not good advice. See, we we can water down the Bible like it's just good advice, like it's just good advice for our lives, and so it helps me to live a better life. But it's much more than that. You see, it is primarily good news. There's plenty of wisdom in here, but the gospel and the message of Christianity is good news. What is the good news? Well, it's the declaration that Jesus has defeated sin and death. During that time, there would be people who would go into conquered areas and they would declare the gospel, which meant there was a new Lord, new ruler. It was a declaration over an area. And so what we find here is that Jesus is giving us the gospel, good news, that he has defeated sin and death. You see, before we get to the good news, we need to understand something that's very important. We need to understand that there's bad news, that there's bad news. See, in the book of Romans, Romans 3.23, it tells us that all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says that that the wages of sin is death. For some of us, we look at our world right now and we say, what's going on? Why is there so much turmoil? Why is there so much sickness, disease, death? Why is there evil in the world? You see, there are people right now that want to point the finger at God and say that God's the problem. But what the Bible tells us is this, that the problem is not God, it's sin. And it's the effects of sin. See, as we see the carnage of COVID-19, we must say, This is not the way life is supposed to be. This isn't the way that that it should be. See, there's something in us that mourns and grieves because we look at creation and we look at the way that that things are in the world right now and and there's something in us that says that's not right. But the Bible tells us that we live in a fallen world and we desperately need good news. Now, there are a few ways that we can try to deal with sin and the reality of sin. One of them is we can deny it. We can look at our lives and we can say, well, it's not that bad of a person. There's there's not too much going on in the world that's wrong. And so you look at your life and you say, well, there's, there's, there's nothing really wrong. You just kind of push it away and deny the reality effects of sin in our personal lives, but also in the world. And so that's one way to deal with sin. Another way is just try to work hard and earn it. Right? We look at the, the, the way that the world is and we say, well, I'm just going to work hard within myself to fix myself and to make myself better. But there's something that Professor Jacob Needleman once said. He says, why can't we be good? As much as we try to help ourselves, we can't. But there is a human problem 
that none of us can fix. And so what we do is we say, well, okay, I'm going to try to fix myself. But then we, we look at God and we say, okay, maybe God is out there. Maybe he will love me. Maybe he's a reality. And so we look at God and we say, well, well maybe if I could just work hard enough to get to God, then I'll be accepted by him. And what we see is that every religion in the world is based off of this earning performance religion. But then there's a third way. There's a third way. And we see it in this verse. Look look at verse one again. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which you received. Which you received. It wasn't us working hard enough to get there, but there was something that we were receiving. It's free of charge. We didn't work to get it, but we received it as a gift. See, what is it that the Apostle Paul is saying that the the church in Corinth received? Well, it's this. It's the message that I'm fully accepted by God through Jesus and everything he did for me. Jesus lived the perfect life. As we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the life of Jesus and then he lived perfectly. He lived the life I should have lived but I could have never done. But then it says he died for my sins. See, I'm free to obey God out of love. This is the gospel. See, it's when you understand and I understand that I am fully accepted because of everything that Jesus has done for me. You see, what was it that sealed the deal for us that, to help us know that it's true? The resurrection. Eternal life. Beyond death. Death and sin are defeated. Jesus Defeated it on the cross. We have a new life in Christ now because of what he's done for us. It wasn't something that I earned or did. It's not something that I tried to push away and ignore and say I don't need it. But it's receiving it. And Paul says that's how you, number one, stand. Stand. You see it in there? He says we stand. Verse one. See, the first function of the gospel, when you believe this, when you receive this into your life, it helps you stand in a world where it feels like you're constantly slipping. Life can be like those rocks at the beach. Remember the beach? We used to go to the beach. Used to be able to go to the beach. But you remember putting your your foot on one of those rocks and, and it was just like slimy a little bit, but you couldn't see it. It was shiny there. And you just put your foot there and you start to slip. See, the gospel is meant to give you security and stability in your life because everything in this world is like that rock and you start to put your foot on it a little bit and it's, you just slide and slip under it and it's not secure. But everything in Christ is. See, when it feels like everything is falling apart around you, God's love and his acceptance of you never will. And it gives you the ability to stand when your world's being rocked, when it's being shaken. Second, uh, we see it in verse two. It's it's how we're saved. 
See, it's important to know that this uh, phrase here is in the present tense, not past tense. Why? Because as William Barclay points out, you are moving from glory to glory. You'll still have struggles in this world and you won't be complete until you're face to face with Jesus. But, but God will be there to save you time and time again until you're with him. It's you are constantly being saved from yourself when you trust in the gospel, when you trust in what Christ has done for you. And lastly, verse two, Paul says this. He says, if, if you hold fast. I loved another translation of this, tenaciously to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Here's the thing. We must continually go back to the gospel again and again and again. As has been said by many preachers before, the gospel is not the ABCs to Christianity. It is the A to Z. It's everything. And so when you understand the gospel and that you are fully accepted because of what Jesus has done for you, it'll change your life. That's the life-changing message that we're talking about today. But what does this message consist of? Well, it's all about Jesus. Let's look at verses three through four. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here's what we need to know. 1 Corinthians 15, three through five is considered by many scholars to be an extremely early creed of the Christian church. And what a creed is, is a statement of belief. Now, this is crucial for us to understand because there will be people who will try to tell you, well, Jesus just came to be a good teacher. He wasn't really God. But what this does is it debunks that theory. Over time, it didn't change. Like, okay, eventually people believe that Jesus was God. No, from the very start, People believed that he was God, that he had died for sins. You see, Jesus is God, and the message has been consistent from the start. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And then verses three and four, in accordance with the scriptures. Now, there are Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. Isaiah 7:14 says he would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. Micah 5:2 says he would be born of a virgin, and he was. Isaiah 53 says he would be rejected by his people, and he was. Psalm 22 says that he would be crucified, and he was. You know, I was talking with my kids this week as we were really examining Holy Week and And one of my kids, uh, my oldest, Kai, asked me, he said, Dad, how do I know that the Bible is true? I said, there's there's a lot of ways that you can point back to the Bible being true. And I talked about this with my kids, but I said, there are 66 books in the Bible written by over 40 different authors over a 1,500-year span, all different walks of life. You have a king, 
in David and you have a tax collector in Matthew. All different education levels. Yet one consistent message. All pointing to Jesus. All pointing to the gospel. The consistency of this message. It's all throughout. And that's powerful. But secondly, we see that there's evidence. Look at verses five through seven. And and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, what are some evidences that the resurrection is true? Let me share two from this text in particular. Look at verse five. It says, he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. One evidence is that the Bible includes broken people. It includes broken people. Who is Cephas? Well, Cephas is Peter. And do you remember the last time we saw Peter? Well, you, you can look back at Luke twenty-two fifty-four through 62. In that text, Peter denies Jesus three times. And in verse 62, it says that he went out and wept bitterly. And who did Jesus call for first? The broken? The one who denied him? Peter. The one who would be the leader in the church. The messiness of this. We don't find this in other religious texts, but we find it in the Bible. William Barclay says this. He says, it is, it is an amazing thing that one of the first appearances of the risen Lord was to the, to the disciple who had denied him. Peter had wronged Jesus and then had wept his heart out. And the one desire of this amazing Jesus was to comfort him in the pain of his disloyalty. Some of you are joining in today. And you might have not, never walked into a church building because you thought to yourself, there's no way that I could be accepted there. There's no way that I could be loved there. There's no way that God could love me. But I just want you to see today that there's evidence of broken people that are included in the story. The scriptures do not hide the sinful brokenness of humanity. Jesus' closest disciples struggled with skepticism, doubts, fears, discouragement, and epic failures. Yet, he continually met them with his love and with his grace. The Bible does not hide the messiness of humanity. It's one of the evidences that it's true, it's real, it's authentic. Mark 217 says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Another evidence is that it includes eyewitnesses. Now, there are many internal and external evidences of the Bible being true. What I mean by internal is internally in the Bible, you can find evidences that it's historical. But also there are external evidences like Josephus and Pliny the Younger and and many like that Tacitus that, that wrote about 
Jesus being a historical figure and they were not Christians. But this eyewitness account is very important. And in ex- experts like Thomas Arnold, who's a professor of modern history at Oxford, have concluded this because of the eyewitness accounts. No one fact in the history of mankind is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. So convincing is the evidence that even atheist scholar Gerd Ludemann says, it is historically certain that Peter and the other disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. One of the strongest evidences of the resurrection is 1 Corinthians 15.6. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Why is that little piece included in there and why is it so important? Well, the eyewitnesses' accounts of Jesus' death and resurrection are convincing because the witnesses were still alive while Paul was writing. If people wanted to know, they could go and ask the person, hey, did this really happen? They could verify the facts. Some have tried to say, well, people were hallucinating when they started to see Jesus as the risen Christ But again, John Lennox, who's an Oxford professor, says hallucinations usually recur over a relatively long period, either increasing or decreasing. But the appearances of Christ occurred frequently over a period of 40 days and then abruptly ceased. Hallucinations, moreover, do not occur to groups, and yet Paul claims 500 people saw Jesus at once. Okay, there will be people that will try to convince you that these things didn't happen. But as we dig deeper and as we lean in, we start to see the evidence is overwhelming. See, the intention of Paul and the gospel writers is to help us see that Jesus really lived, died, and resurrected. He really appeared to his disciples. He really died for our sins. Lastly, it's the testimony. Look at verse eight. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What is Paul telling us? He's letting us in on the power of the gospel in his own life. In his own life. First he says, last of all. This comes from a deep understanding that he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. See, if you you know Paul's story, he killed Christians in the book of Acts. He later calls himself the chief of all sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. So again, if you're writing yourself off and saying, I've just done too much, there's no way that God could love me, look at the Apostle Paul. This is last of all. But second, he says, as to one untimely born, Paul wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for Paul. And again, you didn't show up on this live stream by accident. There's a God who is searching for you, though you may have never searched for him. And maybe like Paul, you can be untimely born. Lastly, he says also to me, the knowledge of Jesus Christ became personal for him. For him. 
as he met the risen Lord and he saw Jesus for who he truly is, he said, there's no way that I'd be worthy of this, but yet Jesus loves him personally. See, as he looked at his life, he understood that he was who he was because of God. He, he got to where he was in life because God got him there. He was, as Philip Yancey once said, a trophy of God's grace. A trophy of God's grace. Recently, I was talking with a friend about the gospel about what it, what it means in my life. And he was explaining to me di- different areas where, um, you know, the, the gospel just kind of penetrates those, those places in our hearts and helps us understand that we, we really are trophies of grace. And he gave this illustration. He said uh, that it, it's like a turtle. If you saw a turtle on a fence, you would look over at the turtle and say, who put the turtle on the fence? Because there's no way that a turtle could be on a fence. There's no way that the turtle could have climbed up there on his own. And, and, and when you start to see what God does in your life and, and the power of the gospel and that takes you from the lowest points and lifts you up higher than you could have ever been, you're like that turtle on a fence. You could have never gotten there on your own. There's a personal testimony for Paul here. And the testimony and the story all points to the glory of God. And so lastly, some takeaways. The first takeaway is this. Do you relate to God based on Jesus? Based on Jesus. Right, when you look at your life and you say, if you were standing before God, what would you say? Would you say, well, I've done enough. Let me in. Look at all that I've done. Or would you look at yourself and say, there's no way that I could get in. You look at God and you say, there's no way that I could get in. And you leave it at that? Or lastly, do you come in and you say, Jesus, I, I, you're my only hope. You're, you're my only hope before a holy God. You're my only hope to get into eternal life. You're my only hope. I need you. Do you relate to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God? Do you relate to God based on what Jesus has done for you? Brennan Manning once said, are huffing and puffing to impress God, are scrambling for brownie points, are thrashing about trying to fix ourselves while hiding our pettiness and wallowing in guilt, are nauseating to God, and are a flat-out denial of the gospel of grace. Do you relate to God today based on everything that Jesus has done for you? Because it's enough for you. It's enough for me. It's enough for us to come to God and say, thank you for accepting me. That's the gospel today. That God accepts you based on everything Jesus has done for you. 
Secondly, secondly this, do, do you see yourself as a trophy of God's grace? Right, no matter how far you've gone, he invites you to come to him. See, see what Christ can do is far greater than what you could ever do on your own. And so will you allow the power of the gospel to transform you into a trophy of God's grace? That, that God did it, right? That God could do a miraculous thing in your life. That there, there is a power in the, the resurrection. Because when you could look back on your life and say, man, if it wasn't for Christ, th- there would be no life. I, I wouldn't have a life. It would have all fallen apart. But today, I am who I am by the grace of God. So we, as we wrap up here, I want to encourage you with this. Because some of you are coming and maybe hearing this for the first time. Or maybe you're like the people in Corinth who needed to be reminded of it again. J.D. Greer wrote this gospel prayer. And so I'd like for us to take a moment and to read it together. And maybe this is the first time that you've ever prayed a prayer like this for the gospel to become real in your life, for Jesus to become real in your life. And you're feeling that little thing in your heart, it's that tug on your heart that this is, this is it. So if that's you, I, I invite you to pray this prayer. But if you're a Christian today, I encourage you to pray this prayer. It's just as relevant for us. We all need it. And so here it is. In Christ, there's nothing I can do that would make you love me more. And nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. As I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to reach out to us. We would love to talk with you more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because here's our, our truth today. Here's, our, here's, here's the gospel good news. It's that in Jesus Christ, we have the only cure for the infinite gap between us and God. He's the only bridge. He is the only lasting hope for every discouraged soul. Jesus is the comfort for our sorrow. He's the healing for our diseased hearts. He's our joy in a world full of uncertainty. So I encourage you to set your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength on Jesus Christ and find hope in the power of the resurrection. Let's pray. 
Jesus, I thank you that it's true that you came, that you lived, that you died for our sin, yet you rose from the dead. You have resurrected and you are alive forever and those who believe on you will live forever. I pray this morning for anyone that is joining us right now that they will find hope because of what Jesus has done. They will find hope in the gospel. They will not look to themselves to fix themselves or to make them themselves right with you, but that they will look to Jesus who's the only one who can make us right with God. So we come this morning celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. He is alive. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.